Hey, I've been reading in 1 Timothy. I read 2 Timothy. I'll read Titus today. But in 1 Timothy, um, it says this, verse 13 of chapter 4. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And I read that as I was preparing for this week, and I thought to myself, you know what? That's the introduction. No clever introduction, like no lead-in, no like, hey, I hope you feel better today if I say these few words. It's just like, hey, we need to get in the Word. So turn over to John chapter 5, and we're going to do what God's Word says. We're not going to neglect the reading of the Word together. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I know that's long. I know I don't read that well. I know it takes you uh, some energy mentally to have to follow along that long, but man, in our fast food society, we can still do it, all right? We could do it. So John chapter 5, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Everybody say whole chapter. Oh, the whole chapter. Yes, that's right. I'm going to read the whole chapter because last time... Um, we talked about this guy getting healed, but you know we got to see the application of it too, and uh, never give up. Yeah, for sure, that's what we're going to do. Never give up. But also, I want to go back to what we talked about three weeks ago, two times ago. I preached, and that is wake up spiritually, right? So this is wake up spiritually part two, uh, otherwise known as believe in Jesus. Okay, got it. Let me read. John chapter 5, verse 1. If you're there, say you're there. All right, good. Most of us are there. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Remember, we're on this journey with Jesus. He's been traveling around. Remember, he went to Samaria, right, to Sychar with a woman, and then he went up to Nazareth, where he was like, hey, prophet's not without honor except for his own hometown. Then he went up to Cana, and he healed the guy's son that was up in Capernaum, and now he's back right, to Jerusalem. So we're on this journey with Jesus. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which, was, uh, which has five roofed colonnades, that's basically five tents, uh, things that people can get out of the weather or out of the sun in. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, they can't see, lame, they can't walk, and paralyzed, they can't move. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? That is the question, right? If you need physical healing, the question is, do you want to be physically healed? The answer is yes, right now, right? If you have an ailment or pain, you want healing right now. But wake up spiritually. Do you have spiritual pain, suffering? Do you need spiritual healing today? I would say to you, we all do. Every one of us do. And so in that right, when Jesus asks the question, do you want to be healed? I hope that all of us will answer, yes, I do. Please show me. Where I need to be healed. The sick man answered him, not yes, please heal me. But he said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another one steps before me. Let's not be full of excuses today. 
I don't want to be. You don't want to be. Let's just submit to the Lord today. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Woohoo! I don't know. Did he have like a permanent smile after that moment? Maybe. And at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Physical healing. Now, that day was the Sabbath. Some of the Jews, everybody say, dun, dun, dun. Come on, do it like I say it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Come on. You ever been to a mel- melodrama? Boo, hiss, you know, all that stuff. The Jews, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, they're a big part of the story today. And what you need to understand is they're the enemy of Jesus. They don't have to be. He doesn't want them to be. But they've chosen to be. Whatever he does, they hate it. It doesn't matter if it's good for a guy that needs to be healed. They're like, shame on you. Tiss, tiss. Don't do that anymore. The Jews. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Michael. That's what I was going for. Thank you. Michael's following along. The Jews... Okay, some of you guys have got it. I'm going to say it a bunch more times. Said to the man who, was, who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Put it down now. But he said to them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? We want to have words with him, right? Now the man who had been healed did not know. This is the most astounding thing in the passage. He didn't even know who healed him. That's crazy. He was obviously blind. He didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, physical healing done, now he's going for spiritual healing, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Who cares if you're blind? Who cares if you can't walk? Who cares if you're paralyzed if you don't go to spend life, uh, eternal life, eternity with God in heaven? That's what he's talking about. It's like, who cares? Like, you're, you're not blind anymore. Good for you. But what are you doing spiritually? And so he comes to him and he says, hey, see? You're well, but don't sin anymore. I don't want anything worse to happen to you. For eternity, the man went away and told the Jews. Thank you. This is fun. That it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them. This is astounding. Underline this in your Bible. I might have told you this last time. My father is working until now, and I am working. Underline or circle my, my father. Do you notice how I prayed? Our father? They would have been fine with that. Our father. You said my father? You're, you think you're God? This is why the Jews... We're seeking, you guys are getting tired. 
were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That's the beginning. That's the setup. Now let me read the rest straight up. Okay, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Wow. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one. But he has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, listen up, guys. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour, that's the cross, is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. God wants you to be saved today. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. Now, that's actually true. 
And you do not have his words abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You don't believe in me, Jesus says. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not and do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The title of the message is Believe in Jesus. I know that sounds simple and contrite. I hope that it is that simple. But I think we're guilty in church of convoluting that, complicating it, of making it more than it needs to be. It's simple. Believe in Jesus. Let me add these two words. Believe in Jesus as God. Just give you a brief overview. In verse 8, Jesus does a physical healing, a miracle. Wow. In verse 14, Jesus invites the man to spiritual healing. He says, hey, don't sin anymore. See, you're well. Come on, let's go on this journey together. The guy stiff arms him. Boom. Goes and tells the Jews, dun, dun, dun. Right? This is... Jesus, Jesus is the one that did it. He told me to carry the bed. He's the wrong guy. Never taking responsibility for his own actions. And it says in verse 16, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because of this Sabbath thing. Tons more times Jesus is going to heal people on the Sabbath. His disciples are going to pick grain on the Sabbath. He's going to defend them. And it all boils down to this verse 17. Look at verse 17. My father is working until now, and I am working. My father is working until now, and I am working. I want to explain that to you. Here it is. God doesn't rest. He doesn't have to. He's not tired. God rested one day in all of eternity. It was day seven of creation. And he did it for you and me to give us an example. Some might say he was working on that day because he was showing us what we should be doing. But man has contorted and twisted up the Sabbath. Let me read this. They had taken the Sabbath, God's gift to man, and transformed it into a prison house 
of, religi- uh, of regulations and restrictions. Sound familiar? I believe that we've done this with the simple statement of believing Jesus. I believe that we've done this. If you want to be a Christian, you got to look this way. If you want to be in our church, you got to act this way. I hope that we're more inviting than that. He gets to this. Warren Wearsby says it this way. They hated Jesus without cause. They ignored the good deeds that he had performed for the helpless and hopeless and centered their attention on destroying him. This is what the Jews did to Jesus. This is what the religious leaders of the day did to the man who said he was God. He said, I came to show you. I came to seek and save the lost. Now, before we judge them, we ought to look inside, right? Those Jews, dun, dun, dun. Can you believe those Jews? Those religious leaders. Before we judge them, let's uh, look inside our own life and examine our own lives, our own hearts, our own church. Where is it that we're doing the same thing? Where we're like, this, this far and no farther. In Jesus' name. Since we're on a journey with Jesus, I'm going to give you three steps today. Here's the first step. They're seeking to kill Jesus. And, and just before I say this, Jesus, okay, so if somebody was trying to kill you, what would you do? Run! <laughs> or reason with them, right? No, you really don't want to kill me. I really, I re- you know, like, you thought I said that. You thought I meant that, but I really didn't mean that. I didn't really say that. Or if I did, please forgive me, right? I mean, you would, you would try to talk your way out of that in a heart, heartbeat. No, 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 no. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to pull the trigger. It's all good. Like, we're, we're good. Like, hey, I didn't mean it. Really, I didn't. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good. Jesus didn't do that. Every good dad knows that sometimes when you're with your kids, you got to double down. Right? You got to double down on that thing. I had to double down this morning. My son, six years old, Down syndrome, bless his heart, like dumped his cereal out, milk and all. Why my wife is cleaning up the mess, because I'm trying to get out the door to get here, bless her heart. <laughs> my wife takes a lot. I'm trying to get out the door. He takes the life cereal. Yeah, at the bottom of the box, you know what it's all sugar anyway? Who's eating life cereal? You know what I'm talking about then. He goes to the living room and he dumps it out. I'm like, no, I'm not leaving anymore, bro. Like, no. So there comes a time when as a parent, you got to double down. And you'd be like, that's not acceptable behavior. And here's the truth. The truth is we're going to act a certain way in this house. Jesus did that. I think you dads would understand. Jesus doubled down. He said, I am God. Believe in me. 
You didn't hear me wrong. My father, he's working. And I'm picking up the mantle right now. You didn't hear me wrong. You heard me right. Let's go. Jesus doubles down. And he says this, first of all. Are you feeling the love? Right? Point number one, feeling the love. Feeling the love. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son could do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. How many of us have young kids that are looking at us all the time, watching what we're doing? For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. How true is that? It's like you got a bunch of little ducklings behind you doing, saying, acting the same way you are. And look at verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. I want you to think about what kind of God sends his only Son, says, I love my Son, and therefore I love you all too in sending him. And then says, I'm going to do all these things not so that you'll cower, not so that you'll duck when I swing, but so that you'll marvel. Just think about the God we have. He's like, I don't want you to cower in a corner. I don't want you to feel condemned at all. I want you to go, wow, daddy. That's our God. That's who we have. You have to feel the love. A father's love for his son or his daughter is so cool. You can see the dependence that a kid has on a dad. You can see the love that they want from you. They want your love, your approval so badly. And when you love them, they feel empowered. That's the relationship you see between the father and the son. The son is saying, I'm dependent on the father. I only do what he says. That's all I'll do on this earth. I'm only doing what the father tells me to do. I'm only doing what, he, what I see him do. I'm going to mimic him while I'm here. And the father says, I love the son. I love that he's doing that, that he's mimicking me. And that relationship and that love is empowering the son to keep living it out. It's the Trinity. It's a mystery. You'll see the Holy Spirit in a second. And they're like, what is going on? Judaism is monotheistic. One God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. The Lord is one. One God, right? And so they're so focused on one God, but God has told them, even from creation, right? Let us make man in our own image. He's a triune God. He's 
one God in three persons, we say persons, but it would be three manifestations for him because the Father's a spirit. And the, this mystery of the Trinity, this, this beauty of the Trinity is, is, is like on display for us, how they love each other and how they want us. If you could just do this with your hand. Do a triangle. Just do this with your hand. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Where do you think God wants you to be? Just think about it now. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Where do you think God wants you to be? Right there. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. He wants you to be in the center of that mystery, that beauty, because he loves you. The father has a love for his kids. I've already given you the example of what happened this morning, but maybe I could use my dad. My dad, I remember the best things about my dad. I don't remember a lot of negative things about my dad, really, other than he had Parkinson's and diabetes and he couldn't function very well at the end of his life. That's the only really negative thing I remember. Even when he got angry, which wasn't very often as a kid, I knew it was righteous anger, and I was like, yep, dad's in control. But I remember playing wiffle ball out in the front yard. I remember going to church all the time because my dad loved God. I remember how much my parents loved people. They passed that on to me. I remember playing basketball in the backyard, back court, the garage area, and it was so fun. I remember wrestling with my dad on Saturday mornings. Sorry for the visual. Strip down to your underwear and just get on the bed and wrestle with dad. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. I remember those memories. I'm fond of them. I remember going, going to work with my dad, and... Uh, I don't know if that's actually child labor laws allow that actually, but um, I prepared food with him at Ember's restaurant. It was a lot of fun, and we would go and hang out together. My dad worked long and hard, and I was grateful for what he provided. I remember my dad and mom uh, providing for me in college when I had knee surgery and I couldn't work, and they paid my bill. And the way they supported me, the love that that showed for me. I remember... um, when Kimberly and I got married, you know, we did an internship in town here and, and they let us stay with them for our first three months of marriage. That was awesome. Mom, you did great. It was, it was great. And uh, my mom and dad respected our privacy. They gave us a place to stay. We stayed with them for two years, actually, when we moved back to Rochester. And uh, you're like, how does that work? It, it works because my parents were awesome. That's how it works. I know without a shadow of a doubt, my dad loves me. Here's the number one reason I know that. Here it is. The day I accepted Christ, January 15th, 1992, my dad just happened to be at that basketball tournament in Dunbar, Wisconsin, the only time my dad ever traveled with me on a basketball tournament. Talk about a loving father talking about my heavenly father right now, to ordain that and to get that all. I remember when I came back from praying to accept Christ and giving my life to Christ, the first person that was at the door was my dad. I remember. 
he gave me a big hug and he said, I'm proud of you. I love you. As I said, Dad, I just accepted Christ as my Savior. Feel the love. That's the point. Do you feel the love of your Heavenly Father? Because this world will tell you that He hates you, that He's not pleased with you, that you don't look right, you don't talk right, you don't act right. I want to change you. If you could just fit into my little thing. But God loves you just the way you are. And he is perfectly bringing you one degree of glory to another on his timetable and no one else's. He loves you. Just flat out he loves you. If you knew how fond your father is of you, now I know you have earthly fathers, and it's hard, right? Sometimes your earthly father will give you a different picture than maybe my father gave me. That's okay, I get it. But we need to understand, our fathers did the best they could with what they had. They're human, they're not God. We can't expect them to be that way. But our heavenly father is perfect. I'm going to run out of time, but I want you to see this from Hebrews chapter 12. Go ahead and turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see this for yourself. Love doesn't always look the way we think it looks. Pick up in verse 5. I think last time I preached, I, went, I read verse 1 through 4, so this will be good. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Verse 5 of chapter 12, Hebrews 12, 5. How many of you guys read this last time when I asked you to? Okay, not very many. Great, well, God's going to get it done anyway. I mean, just, I love that about the Lord. He loves you that much. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Guys, that's a warning for us. There's a possibility you wandered into church today and you think you're a son or daughter of Christ or of God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, but you may not be. You may be illegitimate. And I'm not saying that in any hurtful, harmful way. I'm saying that in a judgment's coming, we want to be right with the Lord way. That's what I'm saying. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. That's waning a little bit in our society, but mostly. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? The answer is yes. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But the, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Can you believe that? God wants to share holiness with us. For the moment, 
All discipline seems painful. I concur. Rather than pleasant. But later it yields the perfect fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Back to John chapter 5. So there's different kinds of love. Sometimes God disciplines us because he loves us for our good. Other times he just gushes love over us. I'll tell you this about my dad. I felt the most loved by my dad when I saw him loving his dad, the Father, God. When I saw him committing to church, when I saw him reading the word, I felt safe. I felt good about who my dad was in that moment. Let me ask you this question. Do you understand how much God loves you? Like, I kind of I got an idea. I think, I think so. If, if you're like, yeah, I know. You don't know. He loves you way more than that. If you know that he's fond of you, praise the Lord. If you feel like he's judging you today, think again. Think again. He might be disciplining you because he loves you. He might be giving you a little um, course correction. I love that about God. Here's what you could read this week if you're not sure if God loves you or not. John chapter 3. Write it down. Write it down. I know I kind of lulled you to sleep. I haven't given you notes for a long time, but just take out your pen and write these down. If you want to know if God loves you, write it down. Read this. John 3. Romans 8. Ephesians 2. John 3. Romans 8. Ephesians 2. And 1 John 3 and 4. That'll remind you how much your Father loves you, even when it's hard. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise that I love. God absolutely loves you. Feel the love today. Okay? Just as you leave here, just feel loved. You are loved. We're going to end our service with that again. You are loved. Feel that love from the Father. Believe in Jesus. Here's a step two or, or number two. Um, finding new life. So here's what's, what's happening in the story. Uh, I'll just break it down for you quickly. They're, they think monotheist, monotheistic God. And, and so there's one God. And, and the thing about God is God can give life and God can judge you at the end of your life. That's what God can do. If you have a God in your life, he'll do those things for you. He'll give you life, and he'll judge you at the end of it. So if your God is a video game, you're like, I don't get it. But it's true. If your God's a video game, all you could care about is your next life on the video game. Right? And at the end, what do you, you're, getting, you're getting judged on how, how, how your score is and all these things. So it works with any God you want to put out there. If you have one God in your life, no matter if it's an idol or if it's the true God, the reason they're God is because they can give you life and they can judge you at the end. Now here's what happened. Jesus said, I can give life and I will judge you at the end. And they were irate. They were they were 
picking up stones to stone him. They were already looking towards the cross at this point, ready to kill him. And he says, I'm trying to help you find new life in me. Look at it. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is the key verse, verse 24. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Finding new life. Have you passed from death to life? Okay, you were born dead. Are we all clear on that? You're like, I was born alive. I'm pretty sure I cried right away. Doctor spanked me, and here I came. You guys know it, don't you? Yeah, they cry all the time. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. All right, now, here's the deal. We're talking about spiritually. When you were born alive physically, you were dead spiritually. You were dead because of sin already committed by your parents all the way back to Adam and Eve. You were born dead. If you don't understand that concept, you're never going to think you need a Savior. If you understand, I'm dead. My sin is gross. This isn't what I should be doing. Pornography helped me with that. Helped me understand, even though I thought I was a good kid and church kid and all that and everybody else was worse than me, that thing, that shame, that sin caused me to know I was broken and needed a savior. Do you have a sin like that in your life? Or did you just like kind of come to it like, yeah, I'm bad. Death is a real thing. And then life in Jesus Christ. Finding new life in Jesus Christ. I wanted to show you uh, a story of a guy in our church who found life. Before I do that, I want to put the key verse to John up on the screen. Here it is, John chapter 20, 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, what does it say? Life in his name. The whole book of John, the whole thing we're studying, including this passage, which is just a fraction of the whole, is saying, you can find life in the name of Jesus. And my friend Ben Irons did. Watch this video. Let's go. Amen. 
That was last week at Act Like Men Palooza in Michigan. And we were having such a great time of confessing our own sins and being around the campfire and just change, God was molding our hearts and changing our hearts. We were finding new life. You know, some of us had found new life many years ago, but we were finding new life. So if you're here today and you're like, this point is for everybody else, think again. Wake up spiritually. Today you can find new life. There's more there. You can find new life today in Jesus Christ. Ben was saved in 2015. And he got baptized last week, finding more new life in Christ, obeying and being set free. Jesus came intentionally to save you and me, to show us the way back to love, because God loves you so much. Have you intentionally decided to believe in Jesus? Is that a thing for you? Have you intentionally decided to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you embraced him as payment for your sin? That's how you find new life. Today, I'm sure you've sinned again. Embrace him as payment for that sin and find new life. Again today. Believe in Jesus. Here's number three. Facing final judgment. Facing final judgment. This is the scary part, I have to say. Um, you can go ahead and read the end of the book. Revelation chapter 19, 20, 21, 22. Go ahead and write that down. Read it. Revelation chapter 19, 20, 21, and 22. That's the end of the story. Read the end of the book. And when you do, you realize that we all have to face the final judgment. Jesus here is saying, I can do nothing on my own, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus judges righteously. God sent Jesus to save you. You have the chance to accept him. If you choose not to, there is a final judgment. Philippians 2, 9 through 12 says it best. It says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I know you've heard that verse before, but if you've never internalized that, if you've never kind of put yourself you know, out there and visualize what that's going to look like, one day when you stand face to face with Jesus Christ? Is he going to smile and say, welcome home, I've already paid for that? Or is he going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Because you are too proud in your own self-righteousness to submit to his true righteousness. Humility is a thing. And humbly, I submit to you that we're all going to face a final judgment. We'll all stand or kneel before Jesus at the resurrection. It says it there in the end. Verse 26. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. It's verse 28, sorry. Do not marvel at this, but the hour is coming 
when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Do you know that everyone will raise from the dead? All who are in the tombs. Those are people that have already died. And we're all going to die too, right? We're all clear on that? Like, I'm not going to live forever, physically? And he says, the tombs are going to open and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those that have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That's not about works. That's about submitting to Christ or not submitting to Christ. Just so we're clear, right? We can get into the weird, I did good, I didn't do good. Resurrection, life or death, judgment. And I'm just going to close with this. Jesus wants to make sure that you are ready So he lovingly gives you four proofs that Jesus is God. And they're in the next passage from verse 30 to verse 47. I'm going to give them to you real quickly. You can read them for yourself. Number one, four proofs that Jesus is God. Number one, the witness of the Holy Spirit. Verse 32, it says, There is another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. Couple that with John chapter 14, 15, and 16, the foremost teaching on the Holy Spirit in all of the New Testament, and you have the Holy Spirit, now the third person of the Trinity, in the passage here, and his testimony is true. He's bearing witness that Jesus is the Christ. He's telling you right now, if you'll listen to him, Jesus is real, Jesus is real, he's real. Number two, the witness of John the Baptist. We've already studied John the Baptist in chapter 1 and chapter 3. You can go back and read those. But John the Baptist was like sent by God to point to Jesus, and that's what he does. And then this, number three, the witness of Jesus' works. We have in John seven signs that John has written for us to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. And we have the gospel, all four of them, saying Jesus did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this. He did all, he rose from the dead. How much proof would you need that Jesus is God? Like, I don't believe it. I don't know if it's true. Um, I thought you might say that. So here's a couple books that I would recommend you read, okay? Here's one, More Than a Carpenter. Josh McDowell wrote this. He said, Jesus is Jesus, you have to do something with him. Either he's a liar, he willingly deceived all of us, he's a liar. He knew he wasn't God, but he said he was. Or he's a lunatic, he thought he was God, but he really wasn't, but he thought, he truly thought he was, he's a lunatic. Or, 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 he's the Lord. And if he's the Lord, you have to answer to that Lord. This would be a good read. More Than a Carpenter is what it's called by Josh McDowell. And then there's this, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, a guy who set out to disprove, okay, a journalist, New York Times, or no, uh, Chicago Tribune, and he set out to disprove that Jesus could even be real because his wife had accepted Jesus. And Jesus saved him in that study. And he wrote a book about why Jesus is real. I have two copies here. There's one here. If you don't believe Jesus is real... There's evidence. Go ahead and read it. And then let's talk about who Jesus is. The witness of Jesus works himself. And then last, 
the witness of God's word. These are four proofs, the witness of God's word. Now remember, who was it that we're talking about? The Jews, right? All right, you're still with me. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, the Jews, right? And so he gets to the bottom here, and he's like, you don't have God's word abiding in you. You don't believe me. You don't believe that God sent me, but the scriptures tell you that he did, and it is they that bear witness. And then skip down to the very end. He says this, do you think that I will accuse you to the Father? No. There is one who accuses you, Moses, your father, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Circle that, set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the New, uh, Old Testament, he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Do you believe? Do you believe the first five books of the Bible and that Moses said, there's another like me coming? That's what he said to these religious leaders. And they were like, huh? Who cares? All we want to do is hate on you, persecute you, and kill you. And so I say to you today, what are you setting your hope on? They were setting their hope on Moses. Moses hasn't saved anyone. Maybe you're setting your, uh, your uh, hope on the word. You're like, I know tons of the word. But do you know Jesus? The word points to Jesus. This is a book about Jesus. And it tells you to believe in Jesus. That's the message today. Believe in Jesus. I know it's simple. I know some of you came and you're like, man, I could have saved 50 minutes. What, what are you doing? I'm preaching John 5. John 5 says, every one of you, believer in Jesus Christ or lost is all get out, believe in Jesus. He is the hope of new life. And he is the rescue from final judgment. Do you understand how much he loves you to come tell you and to write a love letter to you to explain to you exactly how he feels about you and to give you open-armed invitation to spend eternity with him?